Hey, uh, thanks again for being here this morning. It's a pleasure to have all of you with us here this morning. For those of you who I haven't had the opportunity to meet, my name is JD. I'm the associate pastor here at Spring Branch. And um, just a little bit about me and my family. My wife and I, her name's Susan, we've been married for eight years. It was eight years last month, just right around Thanksgiving, which was really cool. We actually grew up as childhood sweethearts. Um, just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Both my family and Susan's family are from the same little town, Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. My parents uh, and my brother and his wife, all from Pittsburgh area, are actually here in the service this morning. So hello, everybody. Glad you're here. So like I said, my wife and I, we've been married for eight years, um, started dating in high school, and now we have uh, two little ones, uh, a little boy and a little girl. This is Beckett in London. Beckett is two and a half and London is just turned a year, and so any chance I get to show them off, I just can't help myself. I don't know what it is. Um, but there they are, and they, we, we had a really fun Christmas, a really fun Christmas. It, you know, especially our son, Beckett, he's really starting to understand and get the whole idea, and he's getting excited. And it was a little confusing for him because we woke up on Christmas morning, and it was just us because my brother um, wasn't able to come down until Christmas night because uh, he's a worship leader up in, up in Pennsylvania, so they had to come Christmas night. So we basically celebrated Christmas two days in a row. So we celebrate it, and then the very next morning, he wakes up, and there's more presents out in the living room. He's like, what is going on? It's like Christmas every day. So hopefully that doesn't, he doesn't think like tomorrow morning, you know, we're going to wake up, and it's going to all happen again. But um, hey, I want to tell you a story, uh, a story about my wife and I. Before we were, uh, before we had kids, we were married, we went on a trip, and we went down to Florida, and it was a, it was a lot of fun. We, we love to go on trips. We love, like, taking little adventures. And um, we actually got stranded in an airport in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Has anybody ever been stranded in an airport because of weather delays? Well, I can think of no worse place to be stranded than a place where it's 80 degrees outside and you are stuck inside, especially when you're from the Northeast like I am. So we have like three weeks of nice weather, you know, in, in, in this, in, you know for up in Pennsylvania. And whenever you're in this, in, in this terminal in this airport in Fort Lauderdale and you can see the blue skies and there's like palm trees and seagulls flying by and I'm like, why am I stuck here right now? But the reason why we were stuck there was because, not because of any weather problems in our area, but because there was this huge winter storm that was going across most of the country. And so it was causing many of the planes to be grounded, including ours. And so I, there were, we were there for hours and hours and hours. And I would say that the general vibe in, the, in this terminal, this airport terminal, was, was kind of this, this feeling of disgust, this annoyance. Like everybody was kind of feeling discouraged and just down about everything. And, you know, people were, anytime, you know, somebody would come onto the PA system and make an announcement, it was just like another delay. And so you know what it's like when you've been in a large group of people who are discouraged, how frustrating. It kind of like brings the whole morale of everybody down. So we were there for hours, and so I eventually talked my wife into allowing me to go get more to eat because whenever I'm bored, I eat. And so I was like, can I please go get some pizza? And she's like, fine, go get some pizza. So I was standing in line at a Sabaro's pizza, and it was kind of tucked in between a couple of the gates. And I was standing in line, and people are, are upset, and, you know, like everyone's talking negatively and things like that. And um, finally... All of a sudden, I, down the terminal, I can't see it, but I can hear this faint sound of clapping. And it, I, I'm not sure what's going on. And then all of a sudden, it starts to get louder 
and louder and louder and louder. And I still can't see what's going on, but I can hear it. And it's obviously whatever's happening is coming closer to me. Finally, I can see just a couple gates down. I can see people who, these are people that just, just moments ago were furious, were mad because their plane was delayed and they just want to get home or they want to get to their next destination or whatever. These same people are standing up and they're clapping and they're cheering and they're smiling. And all of a sudden, I'll never forget it, a group of about 40 men and women dressed in full camouflage uniforms walks down our terminal and right past our gate. And me, as well as everyone around me, just our demeanor just changed. It was, it was a moment, it was this incredible, encouraging moment where all of a sudden our perspective was shifted. You know, and in fact, we spent the next few hours um, in that airport terminal. We still weren't able to get out. Um, but because as a result of the encouragement that we felt because of those troops walking through that terminal, everyone's attitude changed. It was just like a different, it was just this different vibe in the air. And, um, you know, I really believe that there is power in this one word, encouragement. There is power in encouragement. And I want to kind of explain to you what I mean by that through the course of a story from Scripture, from something from my own life, and also from an athlete that's a famous athlete that you all know of. Because I, I really believe that on this, as we're kind of looking forward to 2016, that one of the things that you and I can focus on that's not a hard thing to do, it just doesn't come naturally to us, is to become more encouraging people. Because I believe that it will help lift the morale of not only ourselves, but also those around us. Have you ever personally experienced the power that encouragement can have on your life? Have you ever had somebody, you know, come up to you, you know, maybe it was somebody at your work, you know, the, the place where you work, and you just finished this big project, and they stuck their head in, and they just acknowledged something that you did. And to this day, it could have been years ago, and to this day, you can still remember the encouragement that they gave you, the words that they spoke, and it just lifted you. Or maybe it was your husband or your wife um, just, you know, reminding you, you know, that you're looking really good because they know you've been working out and you've been trying really hard to eat healthy. And you just remember those words and you weren't feeling that great that day. And then all of a sudden they said that and it just changed. It just changed everything. Or it could have been someone, you know, that you hardly even knew. You know, I, I love when this happens. Like someone I hardly even knew, know, and, and they, they, they come up to me, and they are just an encouraging person, and they just say this encouraging thing about something about my character that I didn't even know I had or didn't believe about myself. And because they say it, it just, it just changed my perspective. We can all think of a time, maybe it was somebody very close to you or someone that wasn't close to you at all. Somebody said something to you. It didn't encourage you, and it just lifted your morale. And it allowed you to see things through a new lens and a new perspective. I can tell you personally, um, from my life, there, I, I have many examples of times when people have been encouraging to me, and I believe that it has shaped who I've become today. But I remember one specific time, whenever I was a freshman in high school, um, I was chosen to be on the varsity baseball team. And it was a really big deal um, that I was, that I was, I didn't feel like I deserved to be there, but it was a big deal that I was. And I was super nervous um, leading into the season. And so we were at the very beginning of the season before we had any games and we were taking, we were having a practice and we were taking infield. And if you're familiar with baseball or softball, the way that you take infield practice is, you know, there's usually two or three different players at each position and the assistant coach would hit us ground balls and he'd tell us to throw to first or throw to second or whatever the scenario was. And then it'd move on to the the next position and hit ground balls to that person and you do the same thing. So I was at shortstop and I was nervous and it finally became, it became my turn to, to get the ground ball and 
because I was thinking about a million different things and not thinking just about the baseball, uh, the ball took a bad hop and it kind of like went, it, it like hit off my leg and went through my legs and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like everyone is looking at me, I'm done. They're gonna send me back down to JV, it's over, you know, whatever. So the assistant coach is like, let's do another one, let's do another one. So he hits me another, he hits me another grounder. Um, this time I kind of bobble it and I throw to first base. And as I throw, I pull the first baseman off the bag. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. Like this is the end of my life. It's over. Like, I, you know, I, I just, so I'm, I'm kind of kicking, you know, kind of kicking the dirt. And he moved on and allowed, you know, hit it to the second baseman. We went around that way. And um, Without anyone really noticing, the, the head coach was in the dugout, and he was just watching, and he, he kind of slowly walked around the infield, and eventually he got to where I was standing, and he came up beside me, and he's like, hey, J.D., he said, how many players are at all the other positions right now? And I said, well, at third base, there's two. At second base, there's three, actually three deep, and uh, first base, there's a couple more. He said, do you see anybody else at shortstop? I said, no, I'm the only one here. He said, that's because I believe that you are the right person for this position. I know you're young. I know that you don't always feel like this is, you're like the best player here, but I'm telling you, I see something in you that you don't see. But I want you to stop worrying because I put you here and there's no one behind you. This is your position. And I will tell you, to this day, it almost brings tears to my eyes because I can tell you how incredibly impactful that was to me on that baseball field, but also just in life. Like when I think of times, defining moments of encouragement in my life where someone said something and it just lifted me, changed my perspective, helped me to see things from a different light. That was exactly what happened that day. And it was, it was just an incredible, incredible story uh, for, in my life. And I, I really believe that there is power. There is true power in the ability to encourage someone. We don't understand always what our words mean to other people and what they can do for other people. Just as encouraging as it is to have kind words spoken to you, how many of you have ever felt discouraged? You've ever felt like things are down and you don't feel good about where you're at, you don't feel good about how you look, you don't feel good about your job, you don't feel good about this or that or the other thing. The same is true that there is a lot of power in discouragement as there is in encouragement. And there's a scripture uh, from the Old Testament that I want to read to you. And it's about the, the, the story of, of King David and his troops. See, King David uh, and his troops had just come back from a battle. Okay, they obliterated their competition. They, 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 they won this battle. It was a huge victory, a huge success. But in this victorious battle, King David's son, his name was Absalom, he was killed. And this was, a, this was a crushing blow to David, right? I mean, obviously. Now, what you need to know about Absalom was Absalom was actually not a good guy. He was a guy that actually did pretty much anything he could to go against his father's wishes. He kind of was always, he was always, you know, trying to, to, to you know, stab his dad in the back, basically. But as, as a father obviously would feel, it doesn't matter what your son has done to you. You still have this incredible just this incredible emotion for losing your son. And so we, we pick it up in 2 Samuel 19, um, it, it, verse 1, and, and, and we, we see just how bad it is for David, and we see the, the power that discouragement can have. It says in 2 Samuel that Joab, now Joab is a very important figure in this story. You're going to want to remember his name. He was the captain of David's army. And it says that Joab was told that David was weeping and heartbroken over Absalom. 
And then it says in verse 2, And the day's victory turned, was turned into deep sadness. As word passed through the army, David is grieving his son. The day's victory, they, they won, right? Big day, big win, was turned into a day of deep sadness because David was feeling discouraged, because David had lost his son. You see, because David was feeling down, it created this incredible ripple, this incredible ripple effect that caused everyone around him to feel discouraged. And the same is true for you and me today. It doesn't, it doesn't just apply back then. Of course, it applies to you and me today. The way that you and I think and the way that we act and the way that we speak, the demeanor that you and I carry around, the words that we use, they have the power to lift others up or tear others down. You know, when the troops came home from that battle, there should have been a huge victory. They, 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 there should have been banners waving and people cheering, and, and there should have been people giving them a standing ovation in the airport terminal. But there was none of that. There was none of that because David was discouraged and he was grieving over the loss of his son. And it says, again, the day's victory was turned into deep sadness. And then it goes on to say this about the troops. They, the troops, crept back into their own town that day as though they had retreated in battle, completely demoralized. See, there's no doubt that David losing his son was a crushing blow to him. But in the process of that, he also began to forget and lose perspective about all the people that were important to him. And it wasn't until Joab, the captain of David's army, finally comes and speaks some truth into King David that he even realizes how badly he has lost perspective, how badly it's gotten and how, how, how bad this situation could get if he doesn't change his, his demeanor and his attitude. Now, before I read this passage, I, I want you just to imagine for a second how difficult it would be um, for Joab to speak these words that I'm about to read to a king. See, he's about to say something and speak to the king in a way that very few people had ever spoken to this king, right? Because he's the king, right? And, 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 and so Job is about to say something that is going to sting. It's going to hurt, and it's not an easy thing to do. You know, there's a verse in, in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 27, and it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Which means that sometimes in our life, and this happened to Joab and it'll happen to us, if it hasn't happened to you already, it certainly will. Um, there are certain times in our life where we are gonna have a responsibility to a person whom we love and respect, and we're gonna have to share a truth with them that they may not wanna hear, and we may not wanna say. But it, because of our love and respect, we have an obligation to them because they're about to hurt themselves or hurt someone else. And in sharing this difficult to hear truth, we in the process have the potential of wounding them. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But as Joab is about to exemplify in this scripture I'm going to read, um, the wound that he inflicts is not a wound that's meant to hurt David, it's meant to help David. It still hurts, it still stings, it's not fun to say, it's not fun to hear. But he does it out of loyalty and out of love for David. And so whenever you hear faithful are the wounds of the friend, whenever I hear that, it's a reminder that sometimes you and I are called to the uncomfortable. You and I are called to sometimes say something that is not easy to say to someone we love. And sometimes it requires us to hear something that is not easy for us to hear. But we can know 
whenever someone who loves us and respects us and wants what's best for us says it, that not only is it necessary, but it's actually a true sign of friendship. It's actually something that is very, very important. So let's, let's hear what Joab says very bluntly to the king. Here's what he says in verses five and six. It says, then Joab went to the king and said to him, your troops saved your life today and the lives of your family and your people. Yet you act like this, making us feel ashamed of ourselves. You seem to love those who hate you and hate those who love you. Your actions give a clear message. Your commanders and troops, they mean nothing to you. What he's saying here is, is that you've gotten so locked up on focusing on those who hate you. In other words, those, those guys that, that took your son's life. That you're forgetting all of the people that love you. You're taking out what happened somewhere else on the people that love you the most that are right here. Is there anybody else that struggles with that besides me sometimes? You have times in your life where you're frustrated about something, and as a direct result, you take it out on the people that you love the most, right? Because you're frustrated about something else. Why is it that we do that? Why is it that, that sometimes I can treat the cashier, at, the cashier person at, at Walmart better than my own family? You know, like I'm very nice and kind and, you know, oh, thank you, blah, blah, blah. And then I can like walk home and, or, you know, walk out to my car and get, you know, go home and, and have a chip on my shoulder with my wife because I'm frustrated about something. Why is it that you can have this, this petty argument, you know, like you could be arguing with someone you love and all of a sudden your phone rings? Have you ever done this? And you're like, you're talking to your, you know, someone that you care about and you're like, we are gonna, I, I, we're, this is not a good situation, people. We, we are gonna talk about this later. The phone rings and you're like, we're gonna talk about this in a second. <clears throat> Hello? <laughs> hey, how you, all, us? Oh, we're doing great. We're gonna talk. We're doing so great. It is wonderful to hear your voice. Why is it that we can treat those whom we love with the least amount, with the least amount of love? Well, I think it's because Discouragement, it causes us to lose perspective. It causes us to lose perspective about who is truly on our team. Now listen, as a result of David's discouragement, David is down, David's discouraged. As the result of his discouragement, I want you to check out the effect that it has on the rest of Israel as the result of one person's discouraged heart. Here's what it says. It says, throughout the tribes of Israel, the people were all arguing with each other. Throughout the tribes of Israel, the people were all arguing with each other. Isn't it the truth that whenever we feel demoralized, whenever we feel like we're losing, whenever we feel frustrated, our emotions surface right to the top. The way that we're feeling surfaces right to the, tr- right to the top. And that's true in your home. That's true at the place that you work. That's true even here at church because there is only a little bit of time that you can fake it, that you can pretend for only so long until your emotions of feeling demoralized, of feeling like you've lost, creates a ripple effect and it surfaces right to the top. And due to one person, David, one person's feeling of discouragement, it causes a ripple effect throughout the tribes of Israel that all of the people are now arguing with each other. So the question is, is that we have to answer is, whenever we're feeling discouraged, whenever we feel 
that it's starting to take hold of our lives or our family's lives or you know, the, maybe you're an overseer or a boss at your work and you're starting to feel this sense of like people are not, they're just feeling like we're losing. The question is, what do we do? What do we do whenever we're personally experiencing that or we're, we're, we feel that other people around us are experiencing discouragement? Well, Joab gives directions to King David and he says in verse seven, Joab said to the king, now go out and encourage your troops. Wow, go out and encourage your troops. In other words, what I'm here to tell you is, is that this is that big of a deal. That your ability to encourage the people around you really does matter that much. It really does matter. What he's saying is, is you have to regain your perspective enough to remember that these troops, these men and these women, they are the ones that have allowed us as a nation to get where we are. And you have to remember how valuable they are to you. I know that you're grieving over the loss of your son, and, and I'm not downplaying that at all. But you have to go out and you have to encourage your troops, the people that are around you that have allowed you to get to where you are today. To me, as, as I was preparing for this message, I was trying to think of a way, the kind of a one-liner way of helping us to remember the one thing that I want you to remember as you walk out of these doors. And I think that what we can learn from this story, and I know from my own personal life, is if we can just do one thing, and that is this. Look for a way to make someone's day. Look for a way to make someone's day. That happened with my coach on that baseball field. What Joab is saying to David here is he's, he's saying, look for a way. I know you don't feel like it, but look for a way to make someone's day, because you don't understand always the, the power that your words have, the power that your attitude has. Look for a way to make someone's day. The bottom line is, is, is this, is that whenever you catch someone doing the right thing, tell them that you caught them doing the right thing. We are so good at catching people doing the wrong thing, aren't we? It's really easy for us to point out whenever someone is frustrating us or we kind of walk around. Maybe we don't share it with them, but we walk around with our chip on our shoulder. But it's like we almost feel like they somehow owe us whenever they do the right thing. But what the truth is is that the way we are wired as people is that whenever we feel encouraged and someone catches us doing the right thing and they acknowledge the fact that we've done the right thing, it pushes us to a whole new level. And it allows us to get better. It allows us to be a better person. Now, what you need to know, what Joab said, is he follows up this idea that, you know, you, you, need to, you need to go out and encourage your men. He follows up with this incredible warning. And this is a warning that I think it translates to us today. He says this, this is the consequence of what will happen if David doesn't go out and encourage his troops. Joab said to the king, now go out and encourage your troops. For I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a single one will be left with you by nightfall. That if you don't go out, not a single one will be left with you by nightfall. Listen, if you and I don't understand the power that encouragement can have, how important it is for us to be encouraging of other people, the people that have supported us, the people that have stood by us, the people that have held us up whenever times have been difficult, those people will be out of sight, they will be gone. They will lose their morale. They will not be encouraged because we have to find ways to get out and encourage our troops because if we don't, they'll be gone before we know it. One day you'll turn around and you'll be wanting someone to depend on and they won't be there because like David was warned by Joab, 
if you don't get out and encourage your troops, they'll be gone by nightfall. You know, there's, there's a book by Stephen Covey. Many of you have probably heard. It's a very famous book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in this book, Stephen Covey talks about four quadrants. And he talks about how important it is to spend most of your life in one of these four quadrants. There's one specific quadrant. So the four quadrants are, there's the urgent and important Okay, so that means you're having a heart attack and you need to go to the hospital. That is urgent, you're having a heart attack and it's important that you get to the hospital. Then the quadrant over here is the important but not urgent. And this is the quadrant that he says that we need to spend most of our lives in. These are the things like exercise and eating healthy. It's very rare that exercising and eating healthy is urgent and important unless you're having a heart attack and that's when it moves into that category. But the idea is is that if you can work on the things that are important but not urgent, you'll avoid feeling that sense of doing things that are both important and urgent. And then there's two other quadrants. There's the, there's, the not urgent, or there's the not important, but the urgent. Usually those are things that other people want you to do that really won't benefit you in any way, but they're urgent to other people. They're usually others' priorities. And then there's the not important and not urgent in the last part of the quadrant. And that's like opening up junk mail and like reading through it and things you just don't need to do, really. And so it's like a total waste of your time. The idea here is that we are called to do what is important but not urgent. I can promise you, very rarely will encouragement feel both urgent and important, unless the commander of your army comes and says to you, if you don't go out and encourage your men, they are gonna be gone by nightfall. That's when it shifts from the important but not urgent to important and urgent. You and I, we've had relationships in our lives that um, we've seen that happen. We know we should, we know we should be encouraging, we know we should lift others up and we just wait and we wait and we wait and now that relationship is gone, it's broken because your troops are gone by nightfall. And, and just to kind of further this, this statement that Joab says to the king, this is, this is what he says um, in the very next verse. He says, this will be worse for you. In other words, not encouraging your troops will be worse for you than all the problems that have come upon you from your youth until now. So, David, let's think back, okay? Do you remember the time that you stood before the really, really big guy named Goliath and you threw a rock at him? That was a pretty major day, pretty big problem. That will be nothing, compared to you not understanding the power of encouragement. Do you remember the time that King Saul, the, 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 the guy that was king before you, you were playing a harp and you thought you were doing a great job and all of a sudden a spear went right past your face because he was trying to kill you because he was jealous of you? You remember that? Oh yes, I do remember that. That will be nothing compared to you not understanding the importance and the power of encouragement. I know that it doesn't seem like it's urgent, but I'm telling you, it will become very, very urgent. Right now it's just important. You've got to get out, and you've got to encourage your troops. Everything, David, that you've experienced up to this point will be small compared to you not understanding the power that encouragement can have in your life. Because the truth is, is that discouragement thrives in the absence of encouragement. Discouragement, it thrives in the absence of of encouragement. In other words, if there is a shortage of encouragement, you can bet that someone's feeling discouraged. Let me say that again. 
if there is a shortage of encouragement in a relationship that matters to you, you can bet that there's someone that is feeling discouraged. So how do we look for a way to make someone's day? What what does that look like right now, right here, right now? Well, I I think that for all of us, most most everyone in this room uh, has has relationships with people that, that we care deeply about. And I think, you know, for those of us that are parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles um, and have relationships with people who are who are young, I can't think of a better time for you to call out something that is good that they are doing and letting them know about it and telling them how encouraged you are by them and what they're doing. Now, I'm not talking about giving every kid a trophy for participating. I'm not saying do something for them because they, because that, you know, it's the right thing to do and we want everyone to feel happy. And I'm talking about a true thing that you are appreciative that they're doing. You find this thing that you are, that you value in them and then you let them know about it. I can tell you that when my baseball coach did that for me, I can, I could rattle off 10 examples of times where people were encouraging to me and it lifted me to a new level. And most of the time, though we don't always have this luxury, most of the time, those things mean the most to us the younger we are. And so if we can find ways in this church to encourage the young people of this church to lift them up, they're gonna become incredible leaders in their community, incredible leaders in our church, incredible leaders in their school, but they have to know. The thing is, is that it's important, but it's not urgent but we have to add some urgency to it. We have to add some urgency to it. You know, what about for, for us, another application, a way that we can be encouraging, a way that we can, we can understand the power of encouragement is, you know, in, the, in our department that we work at or cross-departmentally at, at our office, looking for ways just to, you know, you, maybe you've never done it before and it's just you, all of a sudden to 2016, you're gonna look for ways to find people doing the right thing. You're going to find, and you're not just going to like blow smoke. You're going to literally acknowledge a specific thing that they've done and say how much you appreciate and you value that. Some of you in here, you are the boss. You are the boss at your company. Some of you oversee a significant number of people. Some of you are just, you know, one of the, one of the employees that is overseen. It doesn't matter where you fall on the org chart within your company. I believe that if you and I can get in the pa- the, into the pattern of becoming a 365-degree encourager, we will begin to see a culture shift in the places that we work, in our homes, and in this church. Because it's so easy for us to point out the things that are going wrong. But it's so incredibly important to point out the things that are going right. Because the truth is this, people thrive on encouragement. People thrive on encouragement. I'd like to close out with just one last story. It's a story about a guy by the name of Michael Phelps. Many of you know who Michael Phelps is. He's an Olympic swimmer. And Michael Phelps um, has the most, he's the most decorated Olympian of all time. He has 22 Olympic medals. An incredible story. Um, but believe it or not, Michael Phelps actually started off his life with what was known, what was thought as very little potential. 
in his life. You see, um, in, in fact, his, his, his mother, Deborah Phelps, recalls a time where she had a parent-teacher conference. And one of Michael's teachers said to her, your son will never be able to focus on anything. Your son will never be able to focus on anything. See, Michael Phelps grew up with severe ADHD, and he had incredible trouble focusing in school, and he was very difficult to handle. But despite the, the discouragement that his teacher gave him, and I'm sure he kind of had a rap for being a, a, a difficult kid in class, his mother would not allow that to define her son. And so she found ways to encourage him. She found ways to find the things that he was good at. And she found out that when she threw him in a pool, he swam like a fish. And she started to hone that skill. And she started to do things that she could do. She couldn't do everything. She couldn't change the way everybody else was speaking to her son. But she could do some things that would help set him up to win. And a a week before the 2008 Beijing Olympics, before his first Olympics, in the New, York, the New York Times was quoted as saying this. Too many people looked at Mrs. Phelps' boy and saw what he could not do. This week, the world will be tuned in to the Beijing Olympics to see what he can do. To see what he can do. And if you watched it, you know what he did. And then four years later, if you watched the London Olympics, you learned what he could do. He became the most decorated Olympian of all time. 22 medals. That's 18 gold, two bronze, two silver, and two bronze. Now, is that the result of incredible hard work? Is that a result of incredible dedication and and having a ridiculous work regimen and all that stuff? Absolutely. But I am convinced through the scripture that I told you about David and how important it was in that story, through my own life, and through probably examples in your own lives, that if it wasn't for his mother lifting him up, he might have never been able to become and elevate to the greatness that he became in that pool in the Olympics. Because there's power in encouragement. So my challenge to you today is this. Look for a way to make someone's day because you never know, you never know what your words can mean to someone. You never know. I don't know that my baseball coach will ever know. Well, actually, he does know because I told him. Um, But had I not told him, he would have never known that that walk around the infield to me changed not just how I played baseball, but it, it truly changed my life. Joab, when he spoke to David, he spoke a hard truth. It wasn't easy to hear, but it changed. It changed an entire nation who was discouraged to, a t- to an entire nation who became encouraged because of the ripple effect that just one person could have on an entire group of people. And I know that he's the king of Israel and none of us are, are to that level, Right? But we have people around us that are affected by how we live, by how we speak, by how we act. There is power in encouragement. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for this opportunity to be here on this Sunday after Christmas. And God, I pray that you would help us to understand that there is power in encouragement. We can each think of a person 
that shaped our life because of something that they said. It could have been something negative that they said, and now we believe that as truth, or it could be something positive that they said that helped elevate us to a level we never imagined possible just because of their words, because our words, they have the power of both life and death. So Lord, help us, help us to have an attitude and a life that is all about encouraging other people. Help us to to make 2016 a year that allows us to, to focus on the power that encouragement can have because we just don't know how important our words can really mean. God, we thank you, and it's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Will you all please stand with me? As you can see, uh, it, if you have uh, any questions about uh, Spring Branch, we have our Discover Spring Branch over here. If you're new to the church, we'd love for you to come down. We have some folks that would love to tell you a little bit more about Spring Branch. If you have a prayer request, um, we have a prayer area over here that we have some people that would love to pray with you about anything you've got going on. Um, And also, I don't want you to forget that next week we're starting a brand new series. It's our relationship series. It's an infamous, from what I've been told, I've never been a part of it because I'm I'm new to the church, but I've heard that this relationship series is like the crux, the most important series about, uh, of the entire year for us that kind of gets down to the, the biggest thing that you and I have problems with, which is in our relationships. And uh, Michael Simone, our senior pastor, is going to be uh, leading us next week through a, a, a service called Scary Close. And uh, it's going to be a pretty cool series. So I would love for you to not only come, but also invite someone along. Um, hey, before I let you go, let me read you a poem that came from Ella Wheeler Wilcox. And I read it in a John Maxwell book, and it's about encouragement. It says... There are two kinds of people on earth today. Just two kinds of people, no more, I say. Not the sinner and saint, for it's well understood that the good are half bad and the bad are half good. Not the rich and the poor, for to rate a man's wealth, you must first know the state of his conscience and health. No, two kinds of people on earth, I mean. The people who lift and the people who lean. What do you say you and I become lifters in 2016? You with me? All right. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you next Sunday.